just because you may have been a cannabis consumer for many years does not make you an expert. And so get educated. Welcome to the Greener Grass podcast from Bluebird Botanicals. I'm your host, Lex Pelger. It felt great to get to interview Donna Shields in my library here at Bluebird. You always get a better sense of someone sitting down across from them, and it was a pleasure to hear about her diverse life that includes food, health, and cannabis. Among many other things, Donna studied nutrition communications as an undergraduate and graduate student. She rose to being an officer in the U.S. Army Medical Corps. She worked as a faculty member at the Culinary Institute of America, and she worked as a freelance consultant, spokesperson, and writer for many of the major food brands in America. In her personal life, a diagnosis of breast cancer brought her to considering cannabis as an option for health and wellness. And as she went on a crash course of research, she realized how little information there was for medical professionals. This led her to co-founding the Holistic Cannabis Academy with my friend Laura Logano, and they created a curriculum of experts to share on the integration of cannabis into a whole-body approach to health. I hope you enjoy hearing from Donna as much as I did. This show is brought to you by Bluebird Botanicals to spread education about cannabis and other things on the greener side of life. Bluebird CBD oil comes from farms in southern Colorado and is grown using only water, soil, and sunlight. Go to bluebirdbotanicals.com for more info. Hello, everybody. I'm very pleased to be sitting here with Donna Shields, who knows a lot about cannabis and education, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Lex. And so your background is around food and then getting more into cannabis. But before you started, what was it you wanted to do when you were little? What was the first thing you wanted to do? Well, I thought I was going to be an archaeologist, actually. Uh, and then I realized that I probably didn't have the patience to spend, you know, years and years digging uh, in the desert with a little whisk broom. And uh, that's just not my personality. Um, I then moved on to medical technology, so I started getting some interest in the sciences, and then I thought, hmm, I don't think I want to be staring into a microscope. That didn't sound like it would hold my interest. And then I actually moved into the world of food and nutrition, but, you know, if I look back even further, Lex, I come from an Italian family on the East Coast, so food, of course, is, it is the thing. And so when you grow up in a very food-centric uh, world and uh, culture, um, it, that kind of spilled over, I think, into my area of professional interest. So I always knew I wanted to do something to do with food, and then it really kind of segued into the nutrition world. And, you know, back in the day uh, when I was in college and studying nutrition, nutrition wasn't nearly the topic that it is right now. And so um, kind of maybe by accident, I, I ended up falling into a career uh, that little did I know was going to become so important and so much of interest to other people. How did you first get started into the food and nutrition world? Well, you know, I started out as um, a registered dietitian in a very traditional role, working in a hospital, because that's what dietitians did. Uh, way back when. And then I um, actually went into the Army. And uh, that was quite an interesting career path. Um, I did that right out of college. 
uh, to do my internship. And I was stationed at Walter Reed Medical Center and then at Fort Knox. And so uh, for somebody, you know, at the age of 22, as a woman in the Army Medical Corps, uh, it was a real eye-opener, to tell you the truth. Wow, Walter Reed, that's incredible. It was dietitian work that you were doing there? It, it was. So, you know, I was working in a hospital, of course, but um, servicing the needs of, of the military, um, the military active duty, uh, retired people. And, and what was, as I look back on that now, it made me grow up really quickly uh, because not only was I working as a dietitian, but I also had to wear my second lieutenant's hat and my first lieutenant's hat. And, and actually, I ended up staying in, uh, in the reserves um, until the uh, first Gulf War. And at that point, they were calling every reserve unit, and I made the personal decision. My, my life was moving in a direction where I was interested in starting a family, and I thought, oh, going to Iraq just isn't part of my life's plan right now. So um, I did resign my commission as a, uh, as a, as a major in the uh, Army Me- Medical Corps, and I, I moved... And I moved on, obviously, into a career that really was in nutrition and health, marketing and communications, which, again, was something quite different for dietitians back then. So um, I feel like I have I feel like I've had quite a few lives, actually. (laughs) Well, let me begin by saying thank you for your service. Uh, that's that's an incredible way to be supporting the troops. And I'd be curious, what was it like being a dietitian at a place like that? What does the day-to-day look like and the special challenges of being a dietitian in a military setting? You know, there's a lot of rules and uh, regulations, obviously, just because it is the military. Um, the dietary care is probably not that dissimilar from um, from working in a civilian hospital, which I did do uh, also for a short time afterwards. But um, it really taught me about standard operating procedures and to be very disciplined. And as I look back on it, in what has served me well in my the rest of my career. I think it really taught me how to uh, be very focused, to be disciplined, and um, have goals. And then you you put a plan in place, and you better be following it. Um, the 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 other responsibility levels that came with being an officer in the military were, uh, as an example, and I can remember this one instance very clearly. You know, as an officer, you're required every so often to uh, pull what is called um, administrative officer of the day duty. So you stay at the hospital for a few days. And when there is a death, you have to oversee all of the administrative technicalities and um, issues that go along with uh, making sure that is all processed very carefully. Um so those are things that, as a dietitian, you're not doing in the civilian world. So it was it was quite interesting and and really um, uh, really forced me to be uh, very grown up and accept a lot of responsibility at a fairly young age. And so then, what was the next iteration like with health and communication? 
Well, actually, after I got out of the Army um, active duty, I went to graduate school at Boston University in what was then a very unique program. It was a master's program in nutrition communications. So it was designed specifically for registered dietitians that had had some clinical experience but knew they really didn't want to spend their whole career um, in clinical. And so that opened my eyes to the world of publishing, writing, uh, public relations agencies, marketing, uh, communications work, television work, you know, all of those things that at the time dietitians were not doing. So it, it was an awesome experience uh, educationally. And it provided entree to doing internships to sample all of these other career paths, which today dietitians are doing all the time. But back then, that was totally new ground that we were pioneering. What was uh, it like being in the program and, and getting to see all that? Well, it was... Um, it was in an area that I had not been exposed to. You know, coming out of college uh, in a very heavy science background, I hadn't been uh, really exposed to a lot of communications um, uh, types of courses, uh, television production. I knew nothing about that. Um, but these are the things that you have to know about, even though you may not end up being a television producer. If you're going to be a guest, well, you need to understand what the back end looks like from a, a technical point of view. And so when I came out of that program, I was totally enthralled with being on TV. I wanted to be a consumer reporter. And I actually um, sent my audition tapes out to TV stations all over the country. And it just didn't work out for me. Um, you know, it's a very competitive arena, as you can well imagine. And so um, what I uh, ended up doing, actually, uh, right out of graduate school was um, got a job in uh, corporate America, heading up uh, consumer communications for the Campbell Soup Company in New Jersey. And that was my first step into corporate health and nutrition communications. Wow, that seems like a big step coming out of a master's program. But I guess seeing the military background, that would be appealing to knowing how much experience you would have. Yes, you know, I and actually the woman who hired me, um, she was a great mentor. And I actually had met her years earlier. She used to head up the Good Housekeeping Institute. And I interviewed for a job with her there. And she didn't hire me at the Good Housekeeping Institute, but she then went to become a vice president at Campbell Soup, and she did hire me there. So you never know how life is going to turn out and when you're going to cross people's paths again. And so what was it like at Campbell Soup? Well, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I, that, that job and many other um, jobs that I've worked with um, uh, large brand, you know, food food brands, pe people would say, well, what does a dietitian do, you know, at a soup company? Or what does a dietitian do at a company that makes beverages or whatever? And, and a lot of people don't get it. And, and the reality is that these major food companies have a broad selection of dietitians, scientists, PhDs, all of whom 
are part and parcel of the product development phase, as well as disseminating information to the consumer. And so when I was at Campbell's, that was the time frame when uh, the sodium issue, you know, sodium in the diet related to high blood pressure, heart disease was all the rage. And so it was a real hot issue for a company that's making canned soups uh, that at that time had fairly high levels of sodium. This was a public health issue that they had to grapple with. And so for me, it was great experience being involved in what was a very controversial topic and finding that spot of managing um you know, this consumer issue that was of great concern, managing it with the health professional community and and presenting a, really a balanced point of view that people could understand and also helping to influence the product development process. So, you know, part of my job at Campbell's was working with the R&D department to say, look, we do have to figure out a way to start making soups with lower sodium contents, but that still taste really good. That, that whole product development process, and I've done that kind of work um, with other food brands, you know, as people's taste profiles change, you know, what we all thought tasted good 20 years ago is not what we think tastes good today. So, so people's habits change, and so consumer products have to keep in step with that. And so um, it is the kind of process that has to be done gr- gradually. You can't all of a sudden put a soup on the market that went from 100 to zero and expect people to accept it. You, you, know, you have to meet people where they are in a gradual way. And so what kind of tools were available to you at such a, a big firm that were new and fun to play with? Well, one of the things that I was fascinated with at Campbell's and actually at other food companies was the whole consumer testing panel process. You know, you wonder how a food product just appears on the shelf, right? Well, it goes through years of consumer testing. And by that, I mean, it starts out with what's called a a product protocept. Well, a protocept is a prototype of a product that's really just a concept, thus the hybrid term, right, protocept. So it's a concept that you put in front of consumers and you ask for their response and their reaction, what they like, what they don't like about it. And then you take that protocept and you start building a product. Now that is done initially in a consumer-type kitchen, at the food company. So it's it's a whole staff of people that are making variations of this product in what would look like a home kitchen. And then you bring these consumers in again to taste the product. You get their input, their feedback, the product gets tweaked, and this goes on and on and on until that what's called a, a bench version, a, a consumer bench version of the product then goes into the R&D lab to commercialize it. Can we now make this product in a scaled up way that could be produced in a commercial operation? So this goes on for a, quite a long time until finally a product goes into a test market. 
And that test market could be just one region in the country, and the packaging will get changed and varied. Um, so there's a lot of variables that go into testing a product before it is ever launched and you see it nationwide. So until you're on the inside of this, you really can't appreciate the amount of time and effort that goes into bringing a new food product to the marketplace. Does it make going to supermarkets interesting for you? Just like a filmmaker watching films can't quite help but pick them apart. Do you look at food packaging and ideas and think, mm, miss that one a little bit? I, I totally look at products very differently, I'm sure, than the average shopper going in. Uh, I, you know, I look at it with a cr critical eye. I look at the type size on the packaging, the colors they've used where it's located on the shelf, you know, which that's another factor, where on the shelf something is p positioned. Um, and of course, I was involved early on with writing copy, you know, the, the descriptive language that goes on a package, because this is what draws a shopper in. So yes, I, I, I look at all of that in a very different way than most people, I'm sure. When did cannabis start to come into view for you that this might combine with your interest in food? Well, it was when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. That was the pivotal point in my life that set me down this cannabis path. And I had spent most of my career actually working as a consultant for varied food companies across the country. Um in health uh, and nutrition education uh, as a spokesperson. And so um, breast cancer, wow, how could this be? I eat great, I exercise, I'm doing all the right things. Why me? And that's what every woman asks, why, why me? But as I started down uh, my crash course in uh, breast cancer options, and it is a crash course because you have to make some decisions pretty quickly. So you have to get up to speed on what your options are. And as I certainly looked at all of the conventional treatments, uh, surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, you know, and, and what was being recommended to me, um, of course, as a nutritionist, I also looked very closely at um, a, a, a nutritional plan that I ultimately ended up adopting, which was a pretty rigorous ketogenic diet. I looked at Reiki, which is a form of energy me medicine. Um, I looked at uh, a lot of yoga, uh, taking, you know, kind of a meditative, spiritual approach that I wanted to overlay with my treatment, and I looked at cannabis. And as I looked at the research, um, I became uh, quite convinced that this was uh, something that should be considered part of the treatment plan, not that I was abandoning everything else. Um, and as I talked to my doctors about it, uh, nobody could answer any questions. No one. So as a patient, I'm left on my own to do my own research. And that's when I said, you know what? This is an unmet need in, in the marketplace for the health professional community because they have got to get up to speed so they can do a better job of offering options to their patients. And that's really what this is about, options. I think a lot of people in the cannabis industry that I have talked to, 
have gotten into it in a similar way. They've had a personal experience. Um, what I and uh, Laura Logano, who is my longtime colleague and friend and my co-founder um, at the Holistic Cannabis Academy, we decided um, that the world needed an education platform that was really designed for the needs of the health professional community. And that's exactly what we're doing. So how did it go um, to first have that idea and then to make it happen with the Holistic Cannabis Academy? Well, you know, we looked around at what would be the best way for us to use our talents as nutritionists and 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 weave that into um, what we believe is the path for future medicine, and, and that is with this integrative, holistic approach. Laura and I are both big proponents of of using many different modalities for better patient outcomes. And so we, um, so we knew our content area of nutrition, and we became very quick students of uh, cannabis science. But what we didn't know about was how do we bring this to a very large audience um, that would be accessible, affordable, and uh, within a reasonable amount of time. So we decided that this was going to be an online curriculum. Uh, and what we didn't know was the world of digital marketing, right? That, that, that was the area that, that somewhat eluded us, but with the advice and guidance of uh, some really smart uh, people along the way, um, I, I am so proud of what we have built over the last three, three years. And, and we started out really in April of 2016 offering a free online holistic cannabis summit. And like most summits, uh, these are uh, multi-day events uh, that are free. We had a four-day event with 28 experts from both the cannabis world and the integrative medicine world. And we had experts like Jeff Bland and Viva Ram and people who were not in the cannabis space, strictly from functional medicine. And we also had people from the hemp industry and, and, and experts um, in the cannabis science world. And what we were trying to demonstrate was, look, these two worlds really cross over, integrative medicine and cannabis. And we had 17,000 people opt into that event from around the world. And we were blown away. It was wow. And we said, wow, we're on to something here. This is resonating with people. People are hungry for this kind of information. And while there has been and there is a lot of information on the internet about the cannabis, you know, the endocannabinoid system, cannabinoid science, what was really lacking was this integration of the practical application of cannabis with all these other modalities, acupuncture, nutrition, yoga, aromatherapy, energy medicine. How do we weave all of this together to really get somebody better more quickly, because this is the other thing that has become so apparent to us as we have moved through our journey. We are finding that 
what we're proposing is resonating not only with the health professional community, but with consumers from all demographics. I mean, we probably get more emails from people 60 plus than we do younger people because this is the audience who have chronic health problems and they are looking for options and they're and they're open to cannabis it's one of the fun parts here at bluebird is the number of um elderly folks that call in who have studied so hard they know so much of what's out there for information and they have just a couple of follow-up questions but they are these health heroes who are self-studied on this stuff and even though their friends and relatives and their communities might be saying you're crazy for trying this cannabis thing um they're doing it anyway because they know it might work and it's it's inspirational to talk to these kind of people who are so fierce about taking their health into their own hands they they have done their homework you're you're absolutely right lex and so we we have found that uh, this message of what I'll call holistic cannabis is really resonating with a much broader uh, spectrum of people than we had even thought at the outset. So it's it's been a very pleasant surprise. And so what's the current iteration look like for someone who wanted to sign up now? So our program, uh, which is uh, online at the holisticcannabisacademy.com, is um, – we offer it in a couple of different ways. We offer what we call our full signature practitioner program, and that is a 31-module program, all delivered online. Uh, you can work at your own pace. And at the end of it, we offer a very comprehensive final exam. And upon successful completion of that, we issue a certificate of training as a holistic cannabis practitioner. And we then allow uh, those students to have their profile put up on our practitioner directory because we're trying to facilitate ways for people to find qualified folks who they can work with to guide them in what I will call cannabis coaching. So our students are coming from all walks of the health professional. We, We have health coaches, nutritionists. Uh, Reiki practitioners, uh, herbalists, aromatherapists. Um, we're, we're delighted, actually, that we have such this cross-pollination of people because they're all learning from each other. So we have this mishmash of students who are sharing best practices, and, and, and they're all really uh, expanding their own careers by now offering uh, cannabis educational services and uh, they're finding that this is really kind of a new career path that they didn't even realize existed before. So we're, we're super happy with, um, with the reception that we're getting so far. That's great. And is there something um, for consumers as well, something shorter? Yes. Actually, what we've done is we've taken some of the modules that are in that full program and we've broken them down into what we call our curated packages. So these are little mini bundles of three modules, five modules. So they're obviously at a lower price point, less of a time commitment. And we're finding those are great for caregivers and for patients who really just want to deepen their own knowledge. And, uh, and so those are available as well, uh, all online. What is the, the future of what uh, the next things you're hoping to add and, and excited to do? 
Well, you know, one of the things that we have been getting a lot of requests for is, of course, uh, something that you are very well versed in, uh, which is the world of hemp-derived um, CBD. You know, the this category uh, has exploded onto the marketplace. Um, Bluebird Products, obviously, Bluebird Botanicals, and, and many other brands are now out there. And consumers are coming to us and saying, what's, what's with all this hemp stuff? What's, what's, what's hemp CBD? What does it do? What should I buy? So we are finding that even outside of now the world of uh, medical marijuana, consumers now are, are just thirsty for education in this whole world of, um, of CBD education. Um, and so we are really turning a lot of our attention to uh, building some programs that really speak more specifically to those kinds of needs. Um, and in fact, uh, we're thrilled that we are going to be, um, uh, we were asked to speak at an upcoming uh, natural foods industry conference uh, called Expo East, which is one of the very big trade shows for the retail natural food industry. And so we will be there talking about the need for retailer education, right? Because if you have staff in the store, they have to know how to answer these questions when customers are walking in and making sure they're giving valid advice. So we are now find ourselves uh, kind of in this uh, hemp CBD world, which we're thrilled about. And um, the other avenue that has somewhat... Um, it opened up its doors to us is that as the cannabis industry is uh, maturing, it is consolidating like every other industry. And we're finding that uh, these individual dispensaries are now being um, operated by very large operators who now own dispensaries in many different states. And they are approaching it more as a business. And they are coming to us and saying, you know, we need some really good education for our sales staff in the dispensary and for our patients. And so they're asking us to develop um, some customized programs for them. So it's it's been wonderful to see uh, how, as the industry matures and grows, that it's opening up new opportunities for us. What advice would you have for people who are looking to get into this cannabis business in, in various ways, especially perhaps up your nutritional and health-focused uh, arena? We get that question a lot, people looking to come into the industry in one way or another, and they're not quite sure yet what it is they really want to do. And I would say to them, number one, you know, just because you may have been a cannabis consumer for many years does not make you an expert. And so... Um, Get get educated, get trained, get your foundational science under your belt. Be, that that's really where you have to start. And then I would also I, I counsel people to say, what is it that you already know? You know, like Laura and I, we know about nutrition, and we found a way to kind of weave that into our existing business. So, you know, maybe you're coming from the legal profession. Maybe you're from the accounting world. Maybe you're coming from uh, the agricultural world in some way. Take what you know and figure out how you can weave that into 
what is needed and what opportunities there are in this cannabis space. And, and, and so I think, I think that's the easiest entry point for, for people, uh, as, and you know, there's a lot of meetups available, um, go to meetups, talk to other people and network and, and get a feel for where the opportunities are. And very often you may end up having to work in the industry initially, uh, as a volunteer or maybe in an entry level job that might not be exactly what you wanted, but it's a foot in the door and you meet people and, and that, I mean, Laura and I have had to, you know, we have built this business bootstrapping from the ground up and, uh, and it's, it's been very hard work. So, so you have to be prepared to, you know, to put the legwork in, but it, but it will pay off in the end, I'm sure. That's very solid advice. Adana, thanks so much for coming and talking today and also for your work around cannabis education and, and getting the, the word out there more. Well, I, I'm, I love what you're doing here at, at Bluebird Botanicals, and, and thanks so much for having me. Greener Grass is a Bluebird Botanicals podcast. Their CBD oil supports a healthy body and a strong endocannabinoid system. They've got friendly customer service who can answer any of your questions, and the number is right there at the top of their webpage. But, per the FDA, they won't be able to make any medical claims for these nutritional supplements. That's also the reason you'll hear little about CBD on this show. There's no need for us to add more evidence about CBD when a simple Google search will give you more than you can read in a month of Sundays. So this show covers the cannabis world and more with editorial freedom from Bluebird Botanicals. Thanks for joining the Greener Grass Podcast. As always, our audio alchemist is Matt Payne, the Gypsy Jazz theme music comes from Brett Van Donsel. Our beautiful bird sounds are courtesy of Lang Elliott. And I'm your host, Lex Pelger, wishing you a bright green day.